0: Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I work for a moving company. No, I. Uh, sorry. <laughs> a little bit slow getting everything set up here this morning. Hey, uh, we are finishing up our uh, series entitled Fresh Start, and today we're talking about a fresh start with our finances. Yeah, we're talking about money. Okay. Uh, just want to let you know that if you feel a little bit awkward right now, a little bit uncomfortable, that's pretty normal. Uh, every time I speak about money uh, in a, uh, from up front, I get emails or Uh, letters or other things saying that I should never speak about money, the Bible doesn't talk about money, and I shouldn't talk about money. And if you believe that, then you haven't read the Bible, okay? The Bible talks about money a lot. Yeah, but Jesus never talked about money. Oh, yeah, he did. He talked about it a lot, and we're going to see that. In fact, point one on your outline today is that many of us need a fresh start with our finances, and it's important that we note right at the beginning that how we handle our money is a spiritual concern. It is a spiritual concern. It belongs here. Now, again, we're uncomfortable talking about it because we don't talk about money anywhere. If somebody invites you over for dinner and they start talking about finances, you go, whoa, look at the time. Got to go. Did you know that according to a Harris poll recently taken, 55% of married couples never talk about money on a scheduled basis? Like they don't ever schedule time, say, hey, let's talk about our budget. 55% of couples, the vast majority of married couples never set a time monthly to talk about money. That doesn't mean they don't fight about it. They fight three times a month. Okay, but it's not constructive planning. It's worrying that we don't have enough savings or uh, there's unexpected expenses. Who here has ever had an unexpected expense? Okay, yeah. Well, how are we going to plan for those if we don't ever plan? How are we going to address this? And so what happens is when we talk about money, money is filled with tension in our marriages. Money is filled with tension uh when we go to work money's filled with i mean our conversation filled with tension about money when we're at work at home everywhere and a lot of times there's no place anybody ever talks about it and we don't ever sit down and say well hey what would god think about our finances so today in the context of our series fresh start what if we said in 2016 we're going to have a fresh start with our finances i hope this is a pep talk to you today i hope this is an encouragement to you If your finances, you feel like, hey, we haven't talked about this enough. If you're married or I don't have a plan for this, I hope this will be what you need to get you over the hump to get you started. Because we're going to talk about this today. Jesus said this. He said, no one can serve two masters, for you'll hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And would you circle the word masters? Isn't that interesting? Did he call money your master? Well, what's he talking about there? Well, let me give you a real life story here. There was a a couple that came to see me a number of years ago. The fella uh, really had always wanted to buy a boat his whole life. He finally got one and it was a great boat and he got it and he was going to enjoy it. And then he realized that, you know, with that boat, it looked awful good, but his truck looked awful bad. So he needed a new truck to haul his new boat. So he had to go get a second job and then uh, he had to actually get some time on the weekends too to afford it all. Now, is there anything wrong with getting a truck? No. Is there anything wrong with buying a boat? No. But here's what was wrong in his scenario. He was working so hard, he was working two jobs and another one on the weekend, that he only put the boat in the water twice in a year and a half. Now think about this. Think about this. He'd gotten himself ratcheted up to the point where he's working so hard to pay for something, for his enjoyment, that he never has time to enjoy it. That's called the rat race. And you could use that illustration, you could use a thousand others. And we all know people like this. They're just chasing their tail. So again, don't hear me that there's anything wrong with having any of those things. But if we're having those things and we're not considering the cost or counting the cost or saying, hey, this is something I can actually afford, well, it can trap us and it becomes our master. And now he was held bondage to this and didn't have time for his family. Good for him. He was willing to make some hard choices to get free, get out from under some of that stuff. And now all of a sudden he had time for his family again, changed his whole life. If you're in that position today, this is what Jesus is talking about. Can we put him first and his priorities? You're going to hear a lot about that today. Colossians three five, Paul says, don't be greedy. A greedy person's an idolater, worshiping things of this world. Okay, it's the same as bound down to a golden idol. If I went to an idol and I put all my money there at that idol every month, you'd say, well, you're worshiping that idol. And it's money that I could use for... Other things that were more important, but I said, no, I'm going to give it to this idol because it's important to me. you would say, well, that's idolatry. And the same thing could happen to you and me if we're not careful. Our money can be diverted into things. We go, I know this is more important. I know this is something I ought to do, but I don't have time and I can't give it up. And it becomes my master and it becomes my idol. I think we all have our attention focused now, don't we? This is the world in which we live. And it's not just a few people. The average credit card debt per household that has credit card debt is $15,000. That's the average. That means there's some people with many multiples of that. And we know this. We're spending beyond our means. We're not planning for things. And all of a sudden now, we're chained to debt. We're chained to credit, and it's become our master. And it's like we're worshiping there. So today, we're going to talk about what God would have us do with our money. And I'll give you hope from the beginning. God wants us to have a fresh start, and he'll give us a fresh start if we come to him. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, bless our time together. Lord, many of us need a fresh start with our finances here today, and I pray that today you'll get us the push we need to get over the hill, to get started. So in 2016, even if we've blown it in 2015 and 2014, in 2016 we'll say, this is the year I'm going go to I'm gonna get this in shape. This is a year, Lord, I'm going to put your priorities first. This is the year. Lord, I pray for the businessmen and the women in this office who sell things. I pray for those of us who buy from them, too. We all need to manage our resources well. Lord, I pray that you'll speak and move me out of the way. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Well, I've divided like I've done every week in this series. I've talked about different categories of people that might need to hear this message. Today, i am picked three. There could be more so I just want to tell you also from the beginning anytime I talk about money people say you didn't use this scripture or this scripture there are hundreds hundreds of verses that I could have used about money today and so if you write me I'll be glad to tell you yep you're right I just didn't want a bulletin insert that was seven pages long okay I mean there's so much the Bible says about this because money is something that God allows us to have where it tests us and it allows us to grow in character it's something he allows us to use and manage to help others. And if we get on board with that, well, it can be a wonderful thing. If we get careless with it or fearful, well, it can become a harsh thing. And let's start with that one. Some of us worry about not having enough money. There are people you know, they got, uh, they're doing very well. They budget their money very well, but they're always worried about tomorrow because, yeah, I'm fine today, but what about tomorrow? Beautiful sunny day, but it might rain tomorrow. And there are some of us that worry all the time like that. And Jesus told his disciples not to do that. Here's what he said, Luke 12. I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or clothes to wear, for life is more important than food, and your body is more important than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. Are you, and, are, and you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. Your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. He'll give you everything you need. And would you circle the word need? He'll give you everything you need. I mean, from God's perspective, money is entrusted to us according to our abilities. I mean, he is... The Bible tells us that Jesus said, pray to God like he's your heavenly father because that's who he is and you're his children. Well, if we're his children, then he entrusts us with things when we're ready to handle them. We're the ones who always, like spoiled children, want to demand that God give us more right now. And sometimes we're not ready for it. I mean, there are many things in my kids' lives. Uh, My oldest son was six years older than my youngest son. And I remember when he was 16 and got to drive my... Youngest son was 10 and he wanted to drive too, and he was really upset that I wouldn't let him drive like I let his older brother drive. And that's the way people talk about God. They go, Well, John, I've been going to church, I've been putting money in an offering plate, I've been doing what the Bible says, but God isn't giving me everything I want. So I'm not going anymore. I'm not getting what I want. Well, remember, it says here seek the kingdom of God above all else, and will give you everything you need, not everything you want. I don't do that with my kids. When that 10 year old wanted to drive, I go, I don't care. Six years from now, you'll be able to drive, but not now. Now, if I'd have given him everything he wanted, I'd have put him behind the wheel, and who knows what would have happened. I'd be an irresponsible father. Now, if I know that much, why wouldn't our heavenly father know that? But we think, well, if God doesn't give me the lottery, if God doesn't give me everything I want, then he doesn't love me. God, you should give me millions of dollars, because I'm mature and I can hell it right now. And that's about the way it must sound to him. Really? You want me to entrust you with more? You haven't balanced your checkbook for six months. You're not even managing the little you have. Why would I entrust you with more? Show me you're good with a little, I'll entrust you with more. That's a biblical principle throughout. And as a father, it's the same thing I teach my kids. Hey, you want additional responsibilities? You want additional freedoms? Then show me you can make your bed. Show me you do your homework. Show me you can manage the money you do have. Now, again, as an earthly father, I know that much, and God doesn't know that? Well, of course he does. Well, then why do we fight him on this? Because I think sometimes because we're silly. And Jesus said, look, if we put God first, this is the life application here, he promises to provide for our needs. I'll provide for your needs. Quit worrying so much. Proverbs 3, that was New Testament. Here's Old Testament. Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your wealth, best part of everything you produce. Then he'll fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with with good wine. But put God first, his priorities. Well, what does that look like? Well, instead of just taking a job because it offers the most money, you pray about the job. God, do you even want me to have this job? Would this destroy my commitment to my family? Would this destroy my commitment to you? And leave me no time. That would mean you would come first. Even if I made less, you'd provide for me. Does this make sense to everyone? God comes first. He said, you put me first, I'll take care of you. If you follow what I command you to do, you're honest and you're faithful in small things, I'll trust you with more. So don't worry. Some of us worry. And Jesus says, don't do that. Secondly, some of us think we'd be truly happy if we just had more money. We do? Man, if I had all that money, man, then I'd be set and then I'd be happy. Well, let's see how that worked out in the life of Solomon, the wealthiest man in the world when he lived. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes. This is from Ecclesiastes 2. Homes for myself. These are select verses from Ecclesiastes 2 and Ecclesiastes 5. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself, by planting beautiful vineyards. I also owned large herds and flocks. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I had everything a man could desire. And you're expecting to go, and I made it. Woo-hoo-hoo, look at me. And here's what he says. But as I looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was also meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. Those who love money never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. You could read elsewhere in the Bible, Solomon was was paid, they measured his wealth by the tons of gold he received. Tons. Can you imagine if somebody asked you your income, you go, well, I don't know, there's about like six dump trucks out front full of gold, Uh, I don't know what that's worth. I mean, think if you were paid by the tonnage of gold. Solomon had that much gold, that didn't even count a bunch of other things that he owned. That was just his annual income in gold. He said, I had more silver and gold than I knew what to do with. He said, but when I looked at it, it was all like chasing the wind. You read it on, and he goes, I amassed all this stuff, I did all this, built all this fine stuff, and then I looked in the mirror, I was getting old, and I realized my kids were going to get it, and who knows what they're going to do with it. So why am I working so hard? And the more I get, the more there are people who will come along and want to help me spend it. Anybody identify with that? Oh, yeah. I mean, he talks about all this stuff, and so we delude ourselves and think if we just win the lottery, if we just had all that then we'd be truly happy. And Solomon says, it doesn't work that way. In fact, the Bible tells us, no, that's one of the illusions of money. Money promises control. Money promises happiness. And yet we know all kinds of people in our society, wealthy, famous actors, sports figures, have all the the money and all the fame you could imagine. And they're addicted to drugs and they're miserable and they burn through marriages like water. And you go, what's happening here? You got it made. And they go, they don't have it made. It means nothing. It wasn't what you think. And so the Bible says, no, be rich in your relationship with God. If God is your foundation, then even if everything else is taken away from you, you still have God, and He promises you eternal life, and He promises us peace that the world can't give, and He promises us meaning. And no one can take that away. And that's how... Ecclesiastes ends up and he said, here's the sum of the deal. Have a right relationship with God. Fear God. And that's true wisdom. And we can take it from the guy who had more than anybody else. Paul wrote to Timothy about this too. He said, people who long to be rich fall into temptation or trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money, please underline craving money, that's what we're talking about here. Have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And we know this. And we know this. They're working 80, 90 hours a week and money's coming in, but there's no time to read their Bible. There's no time to go to church. There's no time to be at their kids' ball games. There's no time for romance. And even though they got money coming in, they're making money hand over fist and they're doing everything exactly right. Hey, I got more, I got more, I got more. All of a sudden one day they go, I don't have anything. Solomon was right. And what if this year, if we believed that last year and we were chasing our tail and we were on the treadmill or whatever it was last year, maybe if we need a fresh start, maybe it's time for us, some of us to get a fresh start and say, hey, I'm going to focus and put God first this year. There's a different bottom line, an eternal one. And I need to make sure that's right first that brings us to the life application. If you turn your uh, sheet over, it says this, that godliness plus contentment is great gain. And this is what uh, the Bible would tell us is the formula for success and true happiness. Godliness plus contentment is great gain. Some of us would like to turn these last two around. Well, I'd like to go to church and be godly. I want godliness plus great gain will bring contentment, but it won't because the more stuff we have, the more we need to watch out for it. I mean, all of us can relate to that too. You get a bunch of stuff and now you don't even know where to put it. So you buy a bigger house so you can put more stuff in it. And then that overflows. So you get a storage room, a climate controlled security guarded storage room that you pay money for to put stuff in that three years later you go, why are we keeping this stuff? And it's true. We're spending all kinds of money storing stuff that we don't even know we have anymore. And then we have to insure it and watch over it. And we're going, why are we doing this? Because whoever has the most stuff is truly happy. Are you happy? No, I'm worried to death about that stuff. Well, then why are we doing it? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul to Timothy again, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. There was a wealthy man at the turn of the century, 1800s to 1900s, turn of the 20th century, and uh, J. Paul Getty, wealthiest man in the world at the time, Getty Oil, and he is famously quoted as being asked once, how much money do you want? And he was a billionaire back then where who knows what he'd be worth today, but um, in today's money. But it was so interesting because he replied and he said, I just want $1 more than what I have, just $1 more. Uh, after he died, his accountant was asked once, uh, after he passed away, how much money did he leave? And his accountant said, all of it. All of it. Because he did. God in his contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. And again, this is the Bible's perspective. You and I are entrusted with things for a short time. We brought nothing in. We take nothing out. We're entrusted with things. And God asks us to watch over it. For a short time. And so, if we don't have enough, if we don't have as much as we'd like to have, then we need to examine and say, Well, God, am I ready for more? Can I be content to manage what I have well right now? And that brings us to the third category. Well, some of us, because some of us worry that we don't have enough, some of us are focused on always getting more, and some of us are careless with what we have. Some of us are just careless. And that's where all that credit card debt comes from. I mean, it probably wouldn't surprise you. These are, these are statistics, too. Did you know that 78 percent of NFL players and 60 percent of NBA players file for bankruptcy within five years of retiring? Let that sink in. 78 percent of NFL players, 60 percent of NBA players file for bankruptcy within five years. We would all agree that they are well-paid. Would we not? How can that be? They haven't made. Well, not if they're careless. Jesus told the story once of a man who had two sons. He said there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. I mean, I always love it again when, the Bible, when people ask me, how can you teach the Bible every week? It's so irrelevant. It's so old. It doesn't even relate today. I mean, who can relate to that, that somebody who had a lot of money squandered it? Because we know that everybody who wins the lottery now, they all manage it well, right? Of course not. I mean, the stories are legend. Our sports heroes, our actors, all these people we hold up is glamorous and glitzy, and they've got it all. Many of them squander everything they have, and in a few years, they're completely bankrupt. Wild living. But man, they're doing it right, partying every night. And now they're... 35 and flat broke Mm. there's a life application for you and me out of all this god wants us to be good stewards and if steward doesn't mean anything to you put manager good managers of the resources he's entrusted to us and that's the whole idea for 2016 i want to remind you again you and i there are ways we'll talk about them in a second we can become good managers we can learn this and god wants us to manage what we have Paul writing to Timothy again. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. And again, all this stuff, if I'm going to do good and if I'm going to help people in need, well, it presupposes that I've managed my money so I have some money available to do good. So I have money available to help people in need. I'm not just living hand to mouth and just blowing things on whatever catches my fancy that day. I'm praying about this. I'm thinking about this. I'm getting counsel about this. Jesus said, tell those, when he was talking about um, the way the kingdom of heaven is run, He said, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. It's part of another story that Jesus told about heaven. He said, it's going to be like a ruler who goes away on a trip, and he divide up his wealth among three servants. To one servant, he gave a lot, because the guy was a high-capacity servant, and he knew he could handle a lot. The next servant, he gave him a little less, because he didn't have as much capacity, but he would still do a good job. And the third, he gave him just a little bit. The Bible says one talent, like a year's wages. He said, you manage that. And he was gone for a long time. When he came back, he asked them to give an accounting of what they've done. The one who received a lot doubled it. The one who received a little less doubled it also, and he rewarded both of them. But the one whom he'd just given just a little, he didn't do anything with it. And he took that little away from him and gave it to the one who'd received the most because that guy had made the most with it. And that's when he said this. Let me read it again. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they'll have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. So the goal is to say, hey God, how can I make the most out of what I have? You're my heavenly father. I'm your child. So God, you've entrusted me with things. Show me how to invest them wisely. And when it comes to our money, how can I manage this so I have enough to live on? And as Paul said, so I have enough for my enjoyment, but I have enough so I can do good. And God says, if you do that, then Jesus said, if you do that, then your heavenly father will honor you. The same way I did with my kids. When I give them allowance, I'd say, here's what I want you to do with this. And if you want more, well then prove that you're faithful with your homework, make your bed every day, do these chores. And they could earn more because I was trying to teach them responsibility. And again, I'm just an earthly father. Our heavenly father doesn't know this, but we resent him when he does this. I should have more. How come that guy has more than me? And we don't even know what that person's been through. We don't have any idea about their capacity. And so we waste our time being jealous of what we don't have instead of taking care of what we do. And that brings us to point two. Just to put it all together here, if I'm going to have a fresh start, then there are three questions I need, or four questions I need to answer. First of all, I need to answer, where am I now? And the whole idea of what I'm talking about here is if 2016 is like a journey, then I need to answer the, first of all, I need to say, this is my starting point this year. Where am I now? Okay, this is called in the margin, just write, this is a balanced account. This is a balanced checkbook. When's the last time you balanced your accounts? Do you know how much money you have in debt? Do you know your credit score? Do you know what's in your account? I mean, it's a terrifying thing when you ask people things and they go, how much money do you have? And they go, well, let me get online. Let me see what's in the account. Okay, I guess guess that's how much I have. They don't know if their check's outstanding. They don't know. We can't live that way. That's irresponsible. That's immature. We can do better than that. In fact, Proverbs says, know the state of your flocks, and put your heart into caring for your herds. For riches don't last forever, and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. We talk about carelessness. Well, it's not just NBA players or NFL players. It could be you and me too. Do we even know where we are? The second question is related to that. Where do we want to be? At the end of 2016, where do I want to be? These are called financial goals. Again, just write that in the margin. Where am I now? Where do I want to be? These are things we pray about. This is why if you're married, these are things you discuss. Hey, where do we want to be? Not just the end of this year. Where do we want to be when we retire? What do we want for our kids? Are we saving for a college education? Do we want to fund a retirement account? Well, how's that going to happen if we don't plan for it? Where are we going? Second Corinthians nine, seven, Paul talks about this. He says, you must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Well, the only way I'm going to give cheerfully is if I've decided and prayed about and said, This is what God wants me to do. I mean, these are the desires of your heart. Well, write them down, talk about them. This is what I want to do. I mean, then we have joy. I mean, it's fun to give when you've planned to give and you set aside money to do it. It's fun to go on a vacation when you're not just swiping the plastic. I mean, I talked to somebody the other time, they were so miserable after Christmas was over, they said, you know, I was just swiping the plastic for Christmas, and I said, Christmas comes once a year, and I said, well, yeah, so does January, okay, it comes once a year when all the credit card bills come due, and they loved December, and boy, they hated January. It's not a problem, though, if I've set aside money for Christmas. Do you know that Christmas is coming next year? How many of you knew Christmas was coming this next year? I'm going to let you know a secret. It's December 25th. It's coming, What if we planned for that? What if we planned for it? Then we could enjoy it instead of, oh, I hope this works. Hmm. Can two people walk together without agreeing on a direction? What are our goals? That brings us to the line in between. How am I going to get there? This is called a plan. This is called a budget. A budget is just a plan. It's how I'm getting from where I am now to where I want to be. This is a budget. I'm going to decrease my expenses or I'm going to increase my income or both so I have enough money to fund the goals. This is where the money will come from. I pray about this. I get counsel. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways. This is Proverbs 6, 6 and following. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, that's twice in there, lazy bones. I don't know that anybody's, I've used that lately, but today we're talking about lazy bones. In fact, instead of that, let's write another, an updated version of lazy bones. Write the word procrastination. But you, lazy bones, procrastinator, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest? Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit, scarcity to attack you like an armed robber. And that brings us to the last point, D, when will I start? When? I know I need to get a budget. We need a plan. My wife and I need to talk. I know it. Boy, what everything you said was true. I have no idea where we are. It's time I really got... Uh, up on that it 's time I set some financial goals i 've never even done those things it 's time to do it. When are you going to do it uh, after the Super Bowl after Easter this summer, How long are we going to kick the can down the road? Listen to this remember it 's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. I talked to somebody in my office all long ago about this. Hey, it's time to get on it. Let's get going. They go, well, you talk about it like it's a sin if I don't have a budget. And I go, well, do you know you need to do it? They go, yeah. Okay. It's a sin right there. James four seventeen. It's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Would you say that with me, please? It's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Man, that's really in the Bible. Now, when are we going to get serious why are we going to kick the can down the road another year? Why can't we work on this together? We can. In fact, inside your bulletin, you will see there's a free financial workshop that we're offering right here. Guess when it starts? Tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Wow, you're not going to let the grass grow, are you, John? No. We've got a lot of people signed up for it already. There's still room for more. And if we fill this up, we'll start another one. We want to help you. That's what church is for. We help each other. Let's do this. 2016. What if 2016 was the year we'd get our finances in order? What if it was the year we came up with a plan? What if it was the year we really found peace about our goals and we prayed through them and we had enough money to give so when somebody went on a mission trip, we could help them go and when somebody's in need, in need we could give them food and we could give to support the church and we could do the things we've always wanted to do. I'd love to be able to do that. Well, Let's do it together. Now. would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you. There are financial advisors in this room. There are counselors in this room. There are people who manage money really well. And there are some of us, Lord, we don't know where to start on this. And we've just made a mess of things. And Lord, I thank you that that young boy who ran away from his father, when he turned around and woke up and came to his senses and went home, his father embraced him with open arms when he returned. God, I pray that we would not listen to the lies of the devil if we've made a mess in the past, that you won't forgive us and help us plan for the future. Lord, you're always more ready to forgive than we are to pray. You're always more ready to listen than we are are to ask. And so, God, I pray that we would stop making excuses, stop kicking the can down the road, and 2016 would be the best year of our lives. If you spoke to someone this morning, Lord, I pray that you would just confirm it in their hearts right now. If God spoke to you about finances this morning, you heard him. Just tell them silently where you are, I heard you. I heard you. We thank you, Lord, for your word to guide us in all matters of faith and and practice, even our money. Help us not be afraid to talk about it, not with you and not with our Christian friends who can help us. Give us your direction. Help us be good stewards and make the most of what you've given to us. In the name of Christ I pray, amen.